It's Toronto's podcast on the Canada's Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Leslie with Canada's Podcast, and today we're interviewing Balaji Gopalan. Balaji leads business development and strategy as the co-founder and CEO of MedStack, a digital application platform for the healthcare industry. Prior to that, Balaji launched the BlackBerry BBM service and led platform strategy at D2L, NIMI, and EventMobi. As an expert in product management and software platform ecosystem design, Apology is also a well-respected startup educator, advisor, and mentor. Advocate for the role of ecosystems in industry transformation and in tackling tough problems like improving healthcare. Welcome, Balaji, and uh, we're so happy to have you on Canada's podcast. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Why don't you start with just telling us a little bit about yourself and mm-hmm. MedStack? Yeah, sure. So uh, MedStack is a is a company that's dedicated towards accelerating the innovation pace in the healthcare industry. So you know the, the thing we look at is if you look at healthcare itself before you even get into the digital realm, one of the biggest challenges in the industry from the perspective of things that people feel every day, but as well as economically in terms of the money spent is uh, the advent of chronic conditions. And, and chronic conditions is a, is a broad term that means a lot of things, but some examples are, are you know, the challenges we face with cancer and mental illness and diabetes and heart condition and, and lots of other conditions that are all characterized by complex symptoms, long-term treatments, and a lot of people involved in the care of the patient. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this is uh, an increasing percentage of the overall cost of healthcare in lots of different countries around the world. Uh, the reason this is relevant is because if that's the kind of relationship that the healthcare industry needs to have with the patient, whether you're talking about hospitals or clinic networks or insurance companies or public health organizations, then you need to take advantage of technologies that can help you deliver care faster. And, and this is where modern technologies run in the cloud become really interesting because the cloud allows you to do things like you know, have a constant relationship with the patient even if they're not actually in the facility. It allows you to help make decisions faster through things like uh, artificial intelligence and simple data tools. And then it allows you to actually have data in, in, in a place that then allows a lot of people uh, rightful access to it to deliver care to that patient. Uh, so think of transitions from one kind of care facility to another, especially in our, in our valued sort of aging population. And, and so we looked at this problem and said, well, how do we bring more cloud tech to healthcare? And it's interesting because from the perspective of outside of the healthcare industry, there are some people who have this notion that health, that healthcare doesn't like tech. And, uh, and then that's actually simply not true. There's an increasing amount of money being spent on technology in the healthcare realm and actually an increasing amount of money spent on cloud in the healthcare realm as well, which is why all of the big major tech companies in the world Amazon, Google, Microsoft, IBM, Facebook, Apple are all building healthcare arms to do different things. What's really cool is they're actually all doing something completely different uh, and, and completely complementary, which we think is extremely encouraging for focus on this industry. And there's a bunch of other metrics we look at, like the percentage of startups every year that are actually healthcare focused versus not is increasing. Why? Because we all have family members or personal experiences, either on the patient side or on the provider side in this realm, we want to see it work better. The thing we've realized is that getting this stuff to market is really, really hard. And if you look at sort of my background, you asked about kind of where I came from, and you mentioned some of it very kindly in the beginning. I have this real fascination with technologies that help other people build stuff. 
whether their workflows like you know like BBM or or some of the education things that was built at G2L uh, or more specific kind of hard developer platform stuff like you know stuff we did with a push service that I built at, at BlackBerry and and some things we did at NIMI. I think this idea of multiplying innovation avenues where solutions are very, very specific to a particular workflow, a particular problem, because people are all different and things that go through are all different. It's really interesting. And, and, you know, there's a Silicon Valley term for this called a picks and shovels business. And I really like that. You know, it's, it's a bit odd for some people because picks and shovels businesses are often relegated to the back of the conversation, right? So the analogy I use is, if your plumbing is great in your house, you don't really talk about it. If it goes badly, of course you talk about it. You know, hey, I don't know hot water in my house or, or I can't wash my dishes, but I have a pleasant home and I enjoy living in it. And part of the reason for that is because the plumbing works really well. That's how we think about ourselves. Uh, and this comes from you know the work I've done building platforms in a bunch of different industries. Uh, platform strategy, it's such an overused word, but but platform in the sense of, Brokering relationships with different, different businesses to do stuff together uh, is really fascinating. My work in product management led me to kind of explore this. And, and you know, there's some great books and reading and, and examples of the coolest companies in the world. They're all platform companies, right? So whether you're talking about Uber or you're talking about Twilio or even MasterCard or iTunes, these are all platform companies. So I wanted to do that, but I always knew I could do something bigger with it. And then I came up with this healthcare problem. And it was the genesis of, uh, of MedStack. And, and we have, a, as a thesis, a fundamental belief that it's these early stage companies that are going to do the most interesting things mm -hmm. in an industry traditionally known for its cautious approach to risk. Uh, and so we're trying to enable them to meet the requirements of their industry much faster. And so that's where we started. And what we realized was the biggest challenge they all had was data security. Is data security? Uh, yeah, yeah, which is unsurprising because there is nothing more precious than our health information. You know, if, if people know about our health, they can beat us and they can get access to things that are intimate and, and sensitive and we want to have protected, not just monetarily, you know, especially if you look at the U.S., the private health insurance industry. This stuff has a dollar figure attached to it. But even emotionally and personally, privacy is in everybody's conversation right now. When you look at the, the consumer uproar over privacy breaches that happened with companies like Facebook and the stuff they got involved in around the U.S. election and, and a couple of other things uh, or, or were involved in, the reaction from the public was emotional. They were worried that people, I don't know who's going to know what about me. This worries me. Now, as soon as you add healthcare into that, then you get into some really, really sensitive things that can affect whether people get employed the relationships they have with their families uh, and, and a number of other things. Economically, a health record is worth 35 times that of a credit card on the black market. People don't realize this, you know, especially in the U.S. If I get your health data, I can be you and I can get all of your health care for, for on your dime for me. And so this has resulted in, in conservatism on the part of the healthcare industry itself. Uh, and as a result, barriers to adoption of digital technologies that the healthcare industry actually otherwise desperately needs to address this chronic condition capacity crunch. So what we do at MedStack is we make that process more trustworthy for both sides, more transparent and easier to adopt. Well, that's amazing. And that was, that was a, like a great response to 
who you are and like MedStack and how you guys came to be. But I do have a question, like what mm-hmm. made you decide to become an entrepreneur in the first place? You know, it's, it's interesting because I, I never had a specific design for it, <laughs> you know? And, 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 you know, a lot of people will tell you that they became an entrepreneur because I don't like having a boss, right? And, and, uh, and I want to set my own destiny. And, and I never thought of it that way. I, I actually don't believe that entrepreneurship or an entrepreneurial mindset or innovation is relegated to a particular size of company. When we were working on some of the early consumer stuff, uh, at BlackBerry, and this is, you know, put the context for yourself and, and the audience. Early 2000s, the iPhone would not be invented for another three years. So the mobile industry was flip phones and business PDAs. And that's all it was. It was, it was, you know, besides the, the consumer phone industry, which was, I make phone calls, I send text messages, I download ringtones. That's the only thing I'd be able to do with the phones. You had these kind of higher end or, or more powerful devices that was BlackBerry Palm. And Windows Mobile, uh, and and maybe Danger. Um, we were blazing the trail, and then BlackBerry was not a startup at that point. We were kind of a startup inside the company, but we did stuff that nobody had ever seen before. We brought mobile strategy to internet companies who had no idea what to do with it. We were in the offices of Facebook when they first started. We talked to Skype, we talked to Yahoo, we talked to eBay, uh, and and we told them how how mobile should work. And and I don't mean just us; other people in the industry were, but we were a bigger company. So I think innovation is possible at, at lots of different levels, but I had gotten involved as an educator uh, and as an advisor with a number of companies. And even in my work in these larger organizations, working with startups, uh, for example, when I was at, at Desire to Learn, I was in charge of, of a strategy for helping our education platform work with tiny little ed tech startups uh, and how do we integrate them into our, into our offering. So I became very fascinated by the role these small companies play in a very stripped down kind of like we're doing one thing and we don't have time to do lots of things and we have to do the one thing we have to do quickly to be able to survive. Um, and this opportunity came to me and I was fascinated by a couple of things. First of all, a chance to do entrepreneurship. And quite frankly, in my, in my early 40s, I was like, this is probably the only chance I'm going to get. I say no and it'll be too late by the time I get another one. Uh, when my partner brought me the opportunity for, for Medstack. Uh, and the second was, I really liked the idea that it was a startup work with other startups. Uh, and I, this, that kind of community ecosystem play was fascinating to me. And finally, I had read an article a, a couple of years prior, written by a, a, by a famous product visionary and a venture capitalist uh, about how entrepreneurship has a social responsibility to do the world's hardest things. And uh, why do we have a social responsibility to do the world's hardest things? Because the world's hardest things are governed by the status quo that doesn't move very quickly. And so if you think of it from an industry perspective, there's always sort of five. And, and you can think of others, but they typically go up in five. And so the five are uh, healthcare, education, financial services, energy, and government. And other kinds of startups are important. But those five, if we transform those industries, those will change the world because they touch us every single day. Uh, And there's a role of technology investment to make the world a better place. Uh, And so that really resonated with me. And I thought, yeah, if I'm going to do the hard work and all the risk of being an entrepreneur, 
I want it to be in something that matters. And boy, it wouldn't it be cool if I was an entrepreneur working in a hard industry, helping other entrepreneurs and convincing them to work in a hard industry. <laughs> and so that's where, you know, the leap of faith came from. It, it wasn't, I want to be an entrepreneur and let's find a company. It was literally, I shifted from being a big company person to being an entrepreneur because of the idea itself. It was enough to compel me to do it. That's amazing. That's different. Like a lot of our guests, we ask them if you, you think that entrepreneurs are wired differently. And I think, like, what, what do you think about that? Mm-hmm. I think entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial mindset is wired differently. That is not defined, defined by your job title or the size of company you work for. Those of us in an innovation role, whether it's a startup founder, a developer, a market strategist, a business developer, a product manager, what have you. You know, as long as your role is not defined by constant input, like, you know, to answer the question in a different way, and this is one of the things that I teach in my class, and I actually recently mentored a very early stage company on their product strategy, and I was telling you this, maybe for listening, I don't know, but um, <laughs> if the market is static, so in other words, if legislation doesn't change, technology input doesn't change, competitive landscape doesn't change, and customer needs don't change, which is true in some rare cases, then all you need is process innovation. How do you do, how do you do input output more efficiently? And input output is on a set of functions, which are essentially what it takes to build something. Engineering, marketing, sales, and support. Those four things. Design can be considered a fifth. But as soon as any of those factors change, then you have to be constantly creatively thinking around, well, how do I deal with what I don't know? How do I deal with limits on what I have? And how do I make the world understand very quickly that I've done something special? Those questions apply whether you're working for a big giant company or you're a startup founder. So when you talk about entrepreneurs being wired differently, it's people who thrive in those kinds of questions. So if you had asked me two, not two years ago, boy, it's been, it's been more than two years already. If you'd asked me 10 years ago, are you an entrepreneur? I don't know how I would have answered that question because I was one, but I don't know if I realized I was one because I thought of myself as an ops person, but operational efficiency is part of entrepreneurship. So if you'd asked me 10 years ago, do you want to be a founder? I probably would have said no, Uh, just because I really liked being the person responsible for delivery and not the person responsible for governance, if that makes any sense. It was weird. So you know, the answer you, you maybe one of your subsequent questions in advance, I have learned way more in the past five years than I did in the previous 15 years put together because I've been pushed into sort of a governance type of role. But, uh, but yes, I do think entrepreneurs are wired differently, but I also think that there are entrepreneurs in startups and there are entrepreneurs in big companies. That's a really interesting way to answer that question. It gives a lot of insight to our listeners too. So. Thank you. Um, but I just wanted to ask you, when did you actually get started? It was three years ago when you started MedStack? Uh, MedStack is now, is, it's coming up on our fifth birthday and next April will be five oh, wow. years old. Uh, yeah, so it's been since 2015. It's been, a, I mean, it's, I, I tell myself this repeatedly because it, not to be cliche, but it feels like 30 years and it also feels like three minutes. There's not been a single day where where I could I could feel the time passing. In other words, like where where like the day started the same way that it ended. It's been change every day, but it's been four and a half years of change every day. Good change, different change, right? There's ups and downs. <laughs> ups and downs. Um, all good, all good. Because whether the result was 
you know, net positive from a financial perspective, which is definitely, it's not always. Every single day you learn something. Some of the learning is hard. And some learning is really depressing. And yeah. some learning makes you like, oh, I just think I need to, need to go to bed. Um, <laughs> but you learn something. And so you grow as a, as a person. It's like going to school. Like, I feel like it really is like it really going is. to the best university in life. It totally is. It's like I, there's never been a bigger learning experience for me professionally than, than what I've done in the last yeah. few years. So shifting gears just a little bit, but I, I wanted to know, you're in Toronto. Mm-hmm. I want to know, what do you think are the benefits of doing business in Toronto? Oh, yeah, great question. Yeah, well, I, I, first of all, let's, <laughs> let's define Toronto. Uh, so so I, I look at Toronto as the corridor between like Oshawa and Hamilton. So part of the reason I define it that way is because we consider ourselves from a geographic perspective to be a Toronto slash Hamilton company, but let's call all of it the GTA. GTA. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and, that, and I think it's important to characterize it that way. Yeah, people talk about this weird kind of like tension between Toronto and Waterloo, which I think is quite silly because on the world stage, we're kind of one big place. Maybe it's arrogant to call it Toronto, but let's call it whatever you want to call it. We have, uh, so we are a business that sells into the U.S. Uh, we have been from, our, from the beginning. And we are also a company that's been time in Silicon Valley. We were in 500 startups uh, a couple of years ago, 2017. Um, we didn't move down there, but myself, my partner, our head of sales, uh, marketing lead, we, we spent a ton of time down there. And, uh, you know, I've been to Austin, I've been to Seattle, I've been to New York, I've been to Chicago. I think we have the best innovation ecosystem in the entire world. And, and I can say that with that experience. So for a few reasons, some of which are, are well known, but are worth articulating again. We have some of the best kind of hard talent here from a technical perspective, whether you're talking about you know, software from Waterloo or AI from Toronto or, or even AI from, from Montreal, um, a lot of which comes, comes here as well. That is helpful. Uh, the second thing is that our pedigree as Canadians is in older industries, healthcare, energy, financial services. RBC is the biggest company in Canada. And so we have a natural tendency to want to take on bigger problems. It's almost like if we didn't have that, what background would we have? Well, other innovation ecosystems, they stem from a background in media. And, and I don't mean to poo-poo the media industry, you know, but... I think of the hardest problems we have to solve in the world and the hardest problems you have to solve are quite often not media problems, although media can be used as a channel to solve those problems. So, so you know, our, our background is in natural resources, uh, oil, wheat, and, and, you know, wood and, and other such things. Uh, we have a strong affinity for financial services because of some of the economic factors where our population is laid out. Uh, but also the conservative way in which Canadians typically think. Okay? You know, we get excited by banks and insurance companies and stuff like that. Uh, and this this lends ourselves, um, I think, to taking on when you talk about people deciding to be founders. I I think I don't know if I can't prove this statistically, but I think we have a more likely tendency to take on harder problems. So I think the combination of those things, along with um, the collaborative attitude in our culture and the cross-supportive attitude in our culture, uh, along with the tendency to look at the long game, 
And then finally, you know, I mean, it can be controversial, but I do think the net gain from our, our government support for, for innovation, all those together puts us in a really, really interesting position relative to the rest of the world mm -hmm. uh, in terms of the kinds of things we're going to do, uh, whether you're talking about Silicon Valley or whether you're talking about China or, or India. Um, this is the this is the place to be. We're very, very, very proud to be a uh, Canadian and Ontario Toronto company, and uh, and we take advantage of all those things. Do you think there's any challenges of doing businesses in in Toronto or GTA? Yeah, uh, I mean they're not insurmountable challenges. We do get asked the question, oh, you know, do you, do people take you less seriously because you're not based in Silicon Valley? I don't think so. I think those days are over. You know, we do have, we do wish those who work in tech in Canada do wish we had more whales. So, you know, we're all cheering Shopify on because they're kind of carrying that torch for us right now. And, and you know, maybe Hootsuite and, and, and a couple of others. And then there's a couple of sleeping giants, even in the healthcare industry, you may not have heard of, but they're doing some really, really amazing things. But uh, you know, industry-wise, we, we had our hopes for Nortel and we had our hopes for BlackBerry and it's not bad news because all of them actually led to ecosystems of amazing companies being formed uh, around them. And, and I think the same is true for, for what we'll see um, sort of going forward. So I think that is not a problem. I think we are sometimes our own enemy. And um, I heard a very compelling statistic, uh, which I, I, I keep saying I got to go and find the reference and write it down and, and read it again. But uh, it was really interesting to me. There was a study that was done a couple of years ago where they, they normalized for stage of company. So they looked at, you know, a standardized timeline for companies founded on this date and how many months elapsed since the founding time. Mm -hmm. They looked at companies in Canada and they looked at companies in the States. And they realized two really important statistics over the time period of this company. Uh, it is more likely at the same stage for a company in Canada to be acquired than it is for a company in the U.S. But it is also more likely that the percentage spend of that company in terms of its capital. So let's assume they have the same amount of money. It's not, it's not that, oh, the answer is that American companies raise more money. Let's yeah. assume they have the same amount of money. The percentage capital spent in Canada on sales and marketing is much, much lower. So what that means is that we have developed a bit of a complex that tells us that we're not a real company unless we have tons of engineers. Uh, and, and in fact, most engineers. And, and I see this all the time. I see it in the founders that I talk to. I see it in, in the investors I talk to. That's the first question. Is how many developers do you have? Because like, you're, not, you're not a real company unless you've got all these. And I'm forgetting development. They want to know how many PhDs you have. I'm not saying anything against, those, against people in those roles because they're really, really important. But our ability to push ahead in terms of a story to our market is muted because of it. So what ends up happening is that we are tackling hard problems, as I said earlier, uh, that need to be solved. And we're actually solving them. Like our tech is good. Our products are great. Our science is fantastic. But because we haven't told the story, Somebody who can tell the story comes along and goes, that company is going to, their tech is going to change the world. Someone's going to buy them out. And, and, and it's unfortunate because we end up celebrating it as a victory. Hey, look, you know, XYZ got acquired by ABC. But that's actually not a victory. The victory is the company grows and stays Canadian and changes the world um, as they do. Again, you know, the way that Shopify is, is redefining 
the e-commerce for the entire planet and is really a retail competitor to Amazon. Meanwhile, in, the, in, in other ecosystems, the product may not be as mature, the tech may not be as good, but they have more people talking about them. And so therefore they're able to, to survive longevity because when you're running a commercial business, your customers are really the only thing that, that matters. Mm-hmm. Canada has not done anything to us to cause that to happen. It's just part of our personality. So we have to get in front of it. I've taken it to heart. You know, half my team is, is business and half my team is tech. And, and I think that's unfortunately rare in our ecosystem. More, more of us need to, uh, to figure that out and the numbers don't lie. So I'm going to shift gears a little right now. I just wanted to know, like some of your ideas, some of all of our ideas come when we're least expecting them and when we're like <laughs> recharging or something. So what do you do to kind of reset, charge? Well, the short answer to that question is not enough. Um, no? But uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, well, it's no secret. My, my team actually had to do an intervention with me. And, and really? Remember, yeah, a few weeks ago, it's kind of funny. <laughs> my, uh, my, my right-hand man in our team, our, our head of sales and operations, he pulled my laptop in a meeting and, uh, and, and went into Slack and started unsubscribing me from a whole bunch of stuff. And, <laughs> and it was like it was like your family coming in and you know taking away your video game control. So like, yeah. you got a fixed life. Taking and away control. Did. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and it was necessary, right? Because I, I tend to be somebody who likes to be involved in everything. Uh, yeah. And and partially because I want to celebrate and learn and and, uh, and those kinds of things. But uh, focus is is really important. So. You know, what kinds of things do I, well, I mean, my, my life is pretty, personally, is, is pretty straightforward. You know, there's my work, a uh, combination of the nature of the work that we do, how important it is, the stage of our company, the fact that we are an office-less team um, means mm-hmm. that I, that, that being engaged in work is, is easy, which is good and it's bad. Um, uh, which why why I need some of those interventions, but it's definitely like that kind of, uh, attachedness is not what I expected my team. I encourage my team to disconnect. I celebrate my co-founder because he's not like me and he and I learn from him. You know, he actually unplugs every Saturday. And boy, I wish I, I could be more like that. But I've learned how to do more of it because I'm watching him. You know, so so my work takes up a lot of my, my brain power. Uh and then the remainder of it is uh is my kids. Um uh they're they're a big part of of my life and you know, it's my daughter tends to get my older daughter tends to get a little frustrated because she's like, Daddy, I don't I don't know how to talk about what you do. Uh, well, that's not that important. Let's talk about you, you know. Um uh so so I try to do my best. And being an entrepreneur fortunately allows me some flexibility because my life is not defined by you or valid by being in a desk at nine o'clock in the morning. So I have some flexibility to yeah. you know, I get up early in the morning, I make the lunches, I take them to school, uh, talk about their day. And then what little I have left beyond those two things, uh, I'm a musician. I mean, not nearly enough of my time as I'd like. I actually kind of let it go in the, in the fall of this year, which I heavily regret. What do you so play? I play guitar and I sing and I write music. Wow. Yeah. So when you play rock and roll, you don't have too much time to, to think about pricing. So, you know, that forces me to, to disconnect. And, uh, and then I try to get a little bit of exercise in here and there, not nearly enough, but I'd say those four things kind of govern everything that I am. It's important. And it's yeah. good to have a balance on your team of people who like to kind of balance out that culture too, right? So yeah, absolutely. We, we, we uh, really, really pride ourselves on, on pursuing diversity. It's a very, very 
uh, high priority for me and my partner. Um, and so, you know, uh, we're uh, more or less balanced in terms of function, um, not quite as balanced as I'd like to be in terms of gender, but we're getting there. Uh, we're about 40% female. Mm. Uh, we have a number of immigrants on our team, and uh, and we're also quite age uh, diverse as well. I mean, I'm the old fogey, and I got a bunch of people who are below 30 on my team too. So, and uh, and despite us not being in an office together every single day, we learn a lot about each other and our families and our backgrounds and the kinds of things we're interested in. Um, I actually have a few musicians on the team. So at our summer retreat, we all jammed together, which is nice. really fun. And uh, some interesting things that we do uh, sort of beyond that, which helps to make better ideas when you got people coming from different backgrounds. Right? Exactly. So I'm going to flip to the future of your business. Mm, okay? Sure. I want to know, where do you see your business in five years? So to, we've been talking a lot about this in the team and, and you know, my background in, in product has me often thinking in terms of the value proposition statement, right? So if we're customer defined this way, who has this problem, we are this and we do it well because of these reasons are different for our competitors because of this. So everything I do kind of comes back to that, whether it's that statement or the, the business model canvas or, or what have you. To the world, we look like a hosting company. That's actually our business model. So you pay us for servers, essentially. Yeah. The servers are, are enhanced with all the security and privacy requirements of the healthcare industry. But our mission, which I've been talking a lot about in this call, uh, is, is beyond that. We see success as more early stage tech companies choosing healthcare as a realm to work in. So what are all of the things they need to be successful? And like any two-sided marketplace or multi-sided marketplace, in our case, being the innovators on one side and the industry on the other, hospitals, insurance companies, health organizations, et cetera, we want to increase the number of transactions between them and the number of players involved. And so we start by curating a large enough market that the other side of the market becomes interesting, which is why we're focused on onboarding as many companies onto the hosting platform as we possibly can. They all have this problem. None of them don't. As long as, and, and even on the board, the borders are getting less fuzzy, right? So you could argue, well, if you're just like a consumer wellness solution who does like diet tracking, do you need compliance? Well, yes, because consumers themselves are worried about privacy. Oh, well, I don't have very, I may be selling to hospitals, but I don't have very, very sensitive data in my platform. It doesn't matter because the hospitals have been hit with risks so many times, they will make you have compliance anyway. So we're focused on getting as many companies on the platform. I have a target of, of, you know, a number that I want to hit by the end of 2020. And then we can attract interest from other people who want to service these organizations in their mission, which could be the hospitals themselves. I use hospitals as a proxy, but healthcare enterprises themselves coming to us and saying, well, you have an ecosystem of companies that will all pass our privacy expectations. How many of them meet our innovation needs? In fact, can we give you our innovation needs? We want to change our emergency department. We'd like to change the way we do handle radiology images. We like to change the way that we onboard nurses, what have you. And can you find companies to work with us? So we become a channel for these companies into their, into their customers. Other things become service providers to that transaction. So it could be development shops. It could be uh, design firms. It could be uh, people who handle patient consent. It could be medical researchers who, serve, who are interested in this innovation ecosystem we become a place where you go. In other words, I'd like Menstock to be the platform you go to to get everything you need if you're building a digital health team, including funding maybe. You know, that's yeah. something else we often think about. So uh, that's where we want to take it. 
Some of those things will build. Many of them we will not because there's other people doing that. But we know uh, that the cloud has to be a fundamental tenet to these companies winning. Healthcare itself is moving to the cloud. It's moving slowly, but it is moving to the cloud because healthcare enterprise IT managers have enough to worry about with the internal systems that they don't want to keep onboarding more and more systems. They have to have responsibility for it. The cloud providers are all making healthcare a priority segment for them, and we're helping them do this. And, uh, and so the, the compliant hosting will always be a foundation, but what we want to do is, is build a suite of services on top that help these companies be successful. And of course, in so doing, move to larger and larger organizations. There's not a lot of large organizations. Like the most interesting stuff is happening in the early stage startups, but a few of them who have been with us since their inception are now much bigger companies. So what do you think is the greatest challenge that you face so far in your business? Well, I mean, we have a lot. <laughs> um, we're, we're taking on something pretty scary. We're taking on privacy. We're taking on cloud. We're taking on healthcare. The combination of those three things itself is pretty scary. So we face a healthy amount of skepticism because of it. I don't think that's a bad thing. I mean, it gets hard to hear over and over again that you're doing something that might be almost impossible to do. But I think, uh, I think that's also, that also motivates and encourages and energizes me. I think, uh, you know, there's uncertainty because we're at the beginning of a very big revolution. The healthcare industry will be, will be overturned, you know, tons of policy changes that are happening, value-based care, potential universal pharmacare in Canada, and then <clears throat> unique challenges in the industry, be it uh, antibiotic resistance to, uh, to, to community uh, care in, in you know, maybe remote parts of the world to social determinants of health. These are all questions that change, it's causing the industry to change at a more rapid pace than it's ever faced before. And then meanwhile, you've got like the technology evolution. You know, what is, what is the world of, of container orchestration mean to NetStack? What does microservices, serverless technologies, all these things are stuff that we're thinking about. Uh, my team just came back from a, a DevOps conference and was, was brimming full of ideas of things that are happening in the industry. So change is, is a challenge in itself, but that's no different than any other startup that exists. Um, we're always wondering about, you know, what are the advantages and the risks of being an infrastructure company under the covers? Is the, is the world of the future owned then by people who have visible solutions or is it owned by, by picks and shovels companies like, like us? Uh, I think we like who we are, but there's some, there's always some uncertainty and, and it's easier to swallow when you see something tangible in front of you than something behind you. Uh, so these are some of the things that I, that I, that I think about and, and it requires a little bit of a counterintuitive mind scientist, mad scientist mindset. So we have to populate the team with people like that, uh, which I mean, I, I love the folks we've got working for us. We're all a little bit crazy yeah. uh, in terms of what we do. Um, and that's why we do it. Uh, so these are, these are the sorts of things that both excite me and, and uh, draw my attention kind of every single day. Yeah, it sounds like you're a really resi resilient team as well. You have to be. Like, yes. So if you could go back in time, what, would, what advice would you give your 20-year-old self? <laughs> Just to throw you off the... 20-year-old self? <laughs> yeah. where, where, I don't even know what I was when I was 20. 20, I was, I was in university. Um, well, okay, so, so let's answer the question that way. Uh, what was I doing when I was 20? Um, when I was 20, I had designs on being 
a researcher in a very different industry than I'm in now. And I was pretty sure, like I knew that's where I was going to end up. So my first piece of advice to myself would be look up don't look from down here and, and look around you and realize that your future may lie in places that you don't expect and to be best prepared for that. Measure your personal success and your goals every day by the number of new experiences that you can have. You know, just go and do more, discover more, create more, risk more, fail more, learn more, meet more. And then not, not for any sort of intent, really. Just like the more you have experienced, the more opportunities will just come to you and you'll just fit them all because you will have done them already. So that's probably one piece of experience uh, advice I would have. Obviously, if you ask anybody in their mid-40s what advice you'd give them when they were in their 20s, it's like, hey, just enjoy the ride, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah enjoy the ride. Uh, you know, now is the time because later you may not have the time. Uh, don't, don't grow up too fast, you know. That's really important advice, but mm-hmm. very relevant to everybody. So what's the best piece of advice that you've ever received from somebody else? Wow. There's been a lot. I'm trying to think of the one that sort of comes. It's hard to come up with like the actual words of advice, but. Well, you know, I mean, the one that you hear a lot, but you can never really hear enough. And and you need to kind of remind yourself over and over again is when things look bad, you'd be shocked at what actually turns around tomorrow. Don't give up. Take a breather if you need to. And, and, and like the, this is not like sage advice I got years ago that, you know, I've lived by every single day. I, it's advice I probably got from somebody three days ago and I, I needed it then. And I probably will need it again three days from now. You kind of need to hear it every day, which is like, because you're in a world of rapid change, either because the world is changing, you're changing, your business is changing. Uh, you need to sort of take a breather and, and, uh, and go, People have been in worse, stickier situations. They've actually pulled out of it okay. So I think that's really, really helpful to, to know. Um, blink and you'll miss it. Um, so pay attention to what's going on around you. We appreciate stuff that's going around you. Don't be too hard on yourself. I think I'm getting better at that, uh, but, uh, but I do need to be reminded of it because I always want more out of every single day than I can, that I can possibly get out of it. And, and, it's less about advice and more that when I look at people who have lived those tenets, then I admire them. So they must be doing something right. <laughs> uh, yeah. Or they've learned something along the way. So <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So like, I want to be like, like that. Uh, yeah. That's, that's kind of how I think. Those are all great pieces of advice. Mm-hmm. So you might've um, noticed this from previous interviews, but now we're going to move into like a different kind of interview style. So it's called rapid fire. We've got eight questions in a row and just answer them top of your mind. I have a bit of a failure of being too verbose, so I'll try to, I'll try to be concise here. <laughs> short, short and sweet for these ones? Oh, short and sweet. We'll see. We'll see. see. So if you weren't doing what you're doing now for work, what would you be doing instead? Um, I would be a product management leader at a, at a, at a technology enterprise. It's yeah, what I did before, and I loved it. What book are you currently reading or what books do you recommend? <laughs> I, I knew you were going to ask me this question. And, I know. And so one of, one of my failings is I don't read enough. And then that's my failing. Mine too. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, just, I, I, read to my, I read to my kids. 
books that have that have resonated with me. I, I had read before. My partner is now reading it, and and we're talking about it. Uh, the hard thing about hard things. Really, really awesome book, and reminds you that about a bunch of stuff that I've talked about today. That's that's really useful. Another one that that's I read once, really quick book, but it always kind of sat with me. Is uh, it's called Back of the Napkin, uh, yeah. and it talks about yeah, it talks about how you react to other people with ideas, and whether you're somebody who creates ideas, somebody who edits ideas, or somebody who celebrates ideas, uh, and using the whiteboard as an analogy. Uh, so I, I've always kind of uh, played that back. Um, That's really cool. Yeah, back to me. And then uh, the Checklist Manifesto was was a book that I read that really reminded me that things that you think are easier that you do every day may not be easy. It's really easy to make stupid mistakes. Forgive for yourself if you do, and then build processes by which you can do them better. Uh, so I've tried to incorporate some of that thinking into what I do. Awesome. Those are good recommendations. Do you listen to audiobooks or anything, or? A little bit, but you know, I gotta, I gotta, so I'm trying to be better about all of this stuff. And, you know, fortunately, I surround myself by people who are much better learners than I am and, and, and drink this stuff up. Uh, to be honest, we talked earlier about decompressing, and, and in the few moments I have to read or to, uh, or, or to, to listen to stuff, uh, to be honest, I, I, I engage in music because I don't have a lot of chance yeah. to do it. Uh, so when I have a few moments in the subway, you know, I always tell myself, okay, today is the day. I can listen to an audiobook, a podcast, and all this. Nope. I'm going to put a music You're putting on. it on your playlist. <laughs> yeah, because I can't at home because, you know, we're, we're, we're busy with all the stuff that's going on there. And when I'm at work, I'm at work. So I totally understand that. I'm actually a similar I'm type of learner. I'm totally well. ashamed of it. And it's not what I, and I have a stack of things and stuff that I want to do. I'm trying. But uh, that's the reality of what I'm looking at. What you enjoy, right? Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, are you a morning or a night person? Both. Uh, I actually can be. I, I've asked myself that question before, too. Like, if I had the choice of when I would be most effective, probably night. But I, I am not, like, uh, I'm not somebody who, like, drags myself out of bed and goes, like, don't talk to me. I need coffee. And, you know, I can actually be effective first thing in the morning if I have to be. But... Uh, Am I my best first thing in the morning? Probably not. I, I think I'm more of like a, everything else is shut down. Now I'm going to sit down and think about things. And it's weird because I, I, cause I, I pull a lot of late nights and I've noticed an interesting cycle in myself. is like when I finally have the chance to sit down, it can be pretty late and I start working. I have like this first, this period of like really poor productivity where I'm like falling asleep on my laptop and I'm not being effective. And for some reason, at some point I hit this like, moment and all of a sudden i just wake up and i'm like really really effective i don't know what the trigger for that is you know something happens in my nervous system or something (laughs) you know what i I tried to make you go to bed and you're not going to go to bed okay if you had to pick one word to describe yourself what would it be and why (laughs) that's hard this is like i find this is one of the hardest questions questions. for people one word to describe myself yeah transient Transient. What I mean by transient, because I think <laughs> it's it's a way of answering your question uh, while copping out of answering your question, um, <laughs> which is transient in itself. <laughs> yeah, I, I just think like I don't think I'm the same person I was a week ago, or or even you know a few days ago. Uh, every day feels like this this moving target, and I don't mean that in a negative way. I just like. I'm constantly, constantly, even though I don't read enough, I'm constantly learning. So, uh, you know, is there like one thing that 
there are values I have that I that would define who I am. Those don't change, but I don't I don't think like to pick one of those as defining who I am is is as appropriate as sort of saying the way that I represent them and use them, and uh, and the decisions that I make. Those are always changing, constantly evolving. Yeah, learning. Yeah, which hey, you know, it's not a bad place to be when you're when you're you know it's it's more expected when you're earlier on in life. But, um, I guess I'm, I'm priding myself on being able to do that even now. What's keeping you up at night these days, if anything? I really believe in what we do. Um, and, and, you know, the reason I believe in what we do is because I have really, really incredibly courageous and persistent uh, and determined customers uh, who are doing some really, really important things. And they're all motivated by personal experiences, all of them. So they, they really care about being successful. Uh, and I, I kind of take it a bit personally, like, I, you know, just I'm here to make them successful and I want to make sure that they are. And, and they've got such a long way to go. They've got deep science that they're trying to productize and they have hospitals they need to sell to and they have patients they need to convince and there's so much ahead of them. And so I, I'm often thinking about, like, I don't want to let them down. And what can we do to deliver better service? What can we do to deliver a better product, uh, a more easy to understand business model. And, uh, and then at the same time, you know, in order to be able to do that and have the motivation to do that and the energy to do that, you have to have a great company. Uh, so I spent a lot of time thinking about my team. We're not a big company. We're only 13 people and myself included, but those are the 12. I spent a lot of time thinking about all of them and, uh, and what can we do to, make sure that they want to wake up in the morning and join this crazy journey, which they do crazily enough. And, uh, and how do we help, how do I help them to understand the amazing work that they've done to help us get where we are and be proud of it and own it uh, in, in all of the ways that motivate them individually. So I think about all those things. I knew this was a long game. Uh, you know, we have amazing customers on our platform today, partnering with us already today, but there's so much more that I want to do. So how do we make sure that we have the time, the space to realize all those things that, uh, that keeps me up nights? My question to you is, do you sleep at all? <laughs> With all of that no. going on? Not enough. <laughs> uh, not enough. Uh, you know, yeah. I, and I, I'm trying to work on it. I, to do a better job of, I will never for a single second ever recommend to anybody that I, my, my daily schedule is one that anybody should emulate. Uh, oh. In fact, there's others that I should emulate. Um, I don't have trouble sleeping. Um, you ask me what keeps me up at night. I should yeah. have that answer. So I don't lie awake, awake at night going, oh my God, you know, what are we going to do? Uh, when, when I do go to bed, I actually, I'm pretty good at yeah. sleeping. Yeah, it's more of a metaphorical question. I just don't. That's my problem. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm like, I'm not ready to. There's more I wanted of this day. And there's, there's things I want to do to make sure tomorrow is better. My second last question to you on that note is, what does your morning routine, evening routine kind of look like? Morning routine. Let's do morning routine. Um, so, well, I don't know how detailed you want me to be. Uh, <laughs> but I get up at the same, on weekdays, I get up at almost the same time every day, uh, which is pretty early um, and I do a quick check just so I know the status of things. I probably don't check my calendar, which is I've kind of realized today that that's something I need to do more of, but uh, more just messages. Like what's happened in my ecosystem in the, in the, the few hours I was asleep with my customers, with my team, um, probably those two. Not a lot of like, 
don't read the news or the industry. It's more just like what's happening in their business. Yeah. Um, and I put her phone down and, uh, and then the rest of the morning is, is focused on my children. So I, I, you know, make their breakfast, make their lunch, uh, make sure the bags and packed for school. I walk my kids to school a lot of times during the week, not every single day, but most of the week. And then once that's done, then kind of my day starts. So, uh, you know, most of the week it's like either heading into town, uh, being in Toronto, there's, there's a commute involved or, or heading into calls or meetings or what have you. We're sitting down and answering emails, answering Slack messages, uh, maybe going to the gym. And then I blink and then it's time the day's over. You know? Yeah. So my last question to you. Um, this is something that we ask all of our, all of the guests on the show. So you probably have heard it, but um, mm-hmm. there's a small tropical island in the middle of the ocean. Let's say it's off the coast of Fiji with only one phone booth and no internet. And we drop you off there with no technology at all. Anytime you can use the phone booth on the island to call the boat to come pick you up. How long would you last before making that phone call? And what would you do until then? I'm definitely have two minds of the answer to that question because my f- First instinct would be, you know, how ready am I to be in this island cut off from the world from the perspective of my responsibilities? Yeah. You know, I'm all, I'd almost like, part of me wants to go, I'd like to call and make sure, you know, my wife and my, and my kids and my family are okay and my business is okay and then hang up and yeah. just go, okay, you guys are okay. Because you didn't know I was going to be on this island. But, but if, if you do and you're okay with that, do you need anything for me? If not, um, then, you know, stand on the beach, take my shoes off, stare into the ocean. Um, I've had a lifelong fascination with the ocean and the water and just you know, breathe in the air and, and listen to the waves and the seagulls. I would force myself to give myself some time. It's too easy for me to be engaged, you know, with all the things that go on. So if I'm forced to not be um, how do I listen, learn to, to listen to my heartbeat and uh, the voice in my head? What would it be if I just took a deep breath and belted out in song on the island by myself, a cappella? you know? What would the, the animals and the birds think of that? What would a conversation with myself be like? I guess my answer to your question would be, it wouldn't be immediate if I, if I felt like I, I, I had the permission to do it. It wouldn't be a long time because I don't feel the need to run away from the world. Uh, but I do think I would be, I would welcome the opportunity to force myself to, to, to be disconnected for a day to a few days. Everybody answers that a different way. And it's so interesting. I really loved your answer. That's the end of my questions for you, but I just want cool. to, uh, do you have anything else that you, to share with our listeners that you haven't shared already? Look, uh, this is this is a, a show about entrepreneurship in Canada. So, first of all, to all of everybody who is listening and and everybody who has participated in the show and those who will, uh, thank you for what you do. Thank you for supporting this initiative. Uh, again, we've got the best entrepreneurship community in the whole world here. Uh, so it all needs to be celebrated uh, and uh, keep up the keep up the good fight. Yeah, I second that. <laughs> thank you. Where can our listeners find you online? Uh, yeah, so I'm on, uh, I, obviously Medstack can be found at medstack.co. Uh, we are pretty active in our community. So you'll see us in just about every sort of startup or tech or entrepreneurship or especially digital health focused event uh, that happens across our, our, our great country. I'm on, uh, on Twitter, Balajigopalan73. 
usually talking about digital health, we're usually talking about DevOps, uh, security, and startups, product management. And, uh, and you can find me and us on LinkedIn as well. All right. Well, thank you so much, Balaji. And uh, we're, so, we're so glad that you could uh, come on the show and talk to us today. I'm really honored. Thank you very much. It's been fun. Thanks for listening to Canada's podcast. Like, comment, and subscribe to all our channels to get the latest podcasts from entrepreneurs across Canada.